Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. They're incredible sheets. They're incredible bed sheets that were inspired by NASA. They use silver-infused fabrics and make temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature. And let me tell you a little something about myself. When I first moved to New York City, I essentially went to a corner bodega, bought a set of sheets that were made out of what felt like cardboard, and that's what I slept on for like years. I thought, I guess I thought I just wasn't even worth more or like, I just didn't even know that comfort was possible. And then I started like actually realizing like, oh, I don't have to live like this and buying actual sheets that made sense. And truly the temperature regulating property of these NASA inspired sheets by Miracle Made are like the apotheosis of adult living. Like you can live with comfort, with temperature regulating. The funny thing is I thought temperature regulating was just like something you had to just deal with your whole life. That There was no sheet that could help you with that. Your body just went through wild temperatures and that just, you know, sucked and you had to just deal with it. But you don't have to deal with it because you can get miracle made sheets. They're self-cooling for better sleep. They're also, this one's really fun and it's actually really important for my husband, they're self-cleaning because they're infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. And because of that, it's designed for your skin. So it stops the bacteria so it doesn't clog your pores and it doesn't cause as much, you know, breakouts and acne, which is a big problem for my husband. Since we started using Miracle Made, my husband has just had way less of the breakouts and the clogged pores. And like I said, they're just like, luxurious. Um, They're designed for a person who's graduating from the cardboard sheets of their youth. (laughs) Graduate from those, you guys. So go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's T-R-Y, trymiracle, M-I-R-A-C-L-E dot com slash fake the nation. And at the checkout, use the promo code fake the nation and you'll get three free towels and you'll save an extra 20%. And Miracle's so confident in their product that it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you're going to get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fakethenation and use the code fakethenation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fakethenation to treat yourself. And thanks so much to Miracle Made for sponsoring this episode. And thanks so much to Miracle Made for regulating my body temperature at night uh, with the sheets. I really love them. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 342. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we do our very best not to mention George Santos this week. I am your host, Nagin Prasad. And if there's two things that need to be quickly retired, it's classified documents and George Santos, like jokes from the national conversation, make it end. So today, we'll talk about none of those things. Instead, we'll look at the state of police reform, we'll ask if you should feel incredible liberal guilt over your gas stove, and... 
um, are Americans actually for the first time in forever working less? So many fantastic questions. And I mean, the panel that we have today. Oh my God, the chefs at Noma couldn't make this panel because it is a fake the nation proprietary blend. Um, just the most exquisite. We have uh, both of them have been on the show before, so you're just gonna just 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 gonna like sit back and relax to the mellifluous tune of veterans of the show host of the unladylike podcast which is just a, such a fun podcast i've had the distinct pleasure of being on that podcast um and it's i've never not had a good time listening to it or being on it you should absolutely subscribe uh we have joining us the, the one and only Kristen conger hey Kristen. hi nagin thank you so much for having me back so excited you're here and i am also so excited for this next panelist because um, I, I didn't tell you this, uh, Greg, Greg uh, you'll, you'll learn that last name in a moment, but he has a new, I don't know how new it is, but it's a special that, that was taped at the punchline. Um, and it, I, I've just been listening to it, you know, it, for the last couple of weeks, it's just one of the, I don't know if you guys do this, but it's like, you'll take a, I'll just put a, a comedy album on repeat, like, and it, listen to it multiple times anyways. And so the sounds of this man are like in my ears, in the, in the facade home a lot. Um, he's also host of the smartest man in the world podcast. And he just finished taping a late, the latest season of whose line is it anyway on the CW, which is just, uh, a tremendous American institution. Um, and this man is also a tremendous American institution. There's the one and only Greg Proops. Hey, Greg. Hello, Nagin. How are you, darling? Hi, Kristen. Oh, my God. So great. And, like, I love the Punchline um, album. It's, uh, you, it, it's, it, it's like hanging out with you. Thank so you. <laughs> I have a good time. We did that the year before New Year's. So I just recorded another one at the Punchline on New Year's that I'm supposedly putting together right now when I'm not getting high. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. It's also at the punchline. Yeah, we just did another one. I, I really enjoyed oh it. I've God, been improvising excited. the album. So I think that might be why it's like hanging out. Cause I, I only had a few ideas going in and then I sort of rifted as I went along. Oh, it's so fun. It's so Thank fun. I, I love it so much. So yes, wait for this new one and, and enjoy the last one. Um, and before we get into the show, I just want to remind listeners that you can go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad to get bonus episodes of the show just support the show for as little as four dollars a month and you get bonus episodes the bonus episodes are super fun um there's also bonus essays uh that are all um you know on the more ridiculous side uh the an upcoming episode we have is with reza aslan and liz winstead who discuss the changing nature of bachelor and bachelorette parties did you know that they're more about relaxation i did not know and apparently there's just this crazy grand american shift in bachelor parties so we fucking get into it i'll tell you what and you know what we're gonna do right now we're gonna get into this show with topic number one uh let's really heat things up by talking about gastos what thank you um i was really gonna avoid this topic because it seemed like you know i mean it seemed worthy on its own but the noise around it seemed ridiculous and here's what we do know gastos contribute to childhood asthma rates it also contributes to global warming only 40 percent of people use gastos and there are some state and local places where they've been banned in new buildings like new york city so those are just some of the basic facts and yet Ron DeSantis had said stuff like don't tread on Florida and don't 
us with gas stoves. Um, so part of me is like, what? Like, why are you even weighing into this relatively niche, like building issue? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not current gas stoves. No one is coming to your home and like turning off your Chef Boyardee creation. It's like <laughs> literally, what 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 happened here? Is how did this become a talking point? Um, I would like to say uh, slash confess, I am part of the forty percent. Um, there is a gas stove in my home, and I was. I have been thinking about this a lot um, yeah. as I'm just blasting it um, every day to cook my dinner. And I am pleased to report for, you know, anyone concerned, so far, Joe Biden has not shown up at my house to steal my stove. Um, <laughs> no one has tried to take it away. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And I, I am just so... Mm, I don't even know the word to use. I am mystified that Republicans care more about protecting my consumer choice to a gas stove than they care about protecting my, oh, I don't know, like bodily autonomy and reproductive choice. Mm, mm. By yeah. all means, by all means, let me keep my stove, no. yeah. but force me into motherhood. That makes absolute sense. No, sure. Kristen, gas stoves are sacred. Uh, they were in the Bible. <laughs> uh, Jesus died for our gas stoves, and I think it we is all my wifely duty to use one. I think. So. <laughs> By the way, I, I, I this is it's like you're not even wrong because Jim Jordan tweeted, a Republican from Ohio, he tweeted, "God, guns, gas stoves." That's what he tweeted. <laughs> It's just like really, for fucking real. I mean, it's. I think also he's doing it with a nod and a wink. I'm not saying that he doesn't have a sense of humor, but it's so funny. I mean, it's so ridiculous to have. I'm just shocked that there's even a position. Um, by the way, uh, Greg, your best friend Ted Cruz. I know you love him. Uh, listed oh, yeah. banning gas stoves as being among policy- policies that he describes as quote Democrat authoritarian impulses. Mm. Um, where do you what do you think of of Ted? Well, I'm brimming kids? with them. I'm I, I as a Democrat, <laughs> my authoritarian impulses are pretty much the overriding, uh, you know, narrative of my id. I uh, when I turn <laughs> on my gas stove, uh, the blue and the orange flames uh, combine to make a critical race theory uh, uh, vapor <laughs> that goes directly <laughs> into my brain uh, that forces me to <sighs> vote for black women. And uh, I, the next thing you know, I, I, I grew a uterus and uh, it's just it's really a serious <laughs> issue, I think. I, anytime the Republicans take up a, a talking point, you can almost be assured that it's irrelevant to anything that's happening in reality because they live in a fantasy based land of of uh, Hunter Biden's and 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 um, what was it? Marjorie Taylor. Um, what's her name said today? Uh, we're going to declare that COVID is over, which is a marvelous sentiment. Um, a little preemptive, perhaps, uh, in so much as it's not. Uh, but that's the kind of games they play. And so, yeah, I uh, I love my gas but it's stove. Also, it, I, but also just on that point of COVID is over. The funny thing is, like, the CDC just came out this week saying, like, basically in May, it's not going to be whatever that designated the emergency designation that it's had. It's not going to have that. So it's a little bit like Marjorie Taylor Greene, you were saying a thing that the CDC is like, 
just basically kind of saying also so like what are you you know what i mean your statement could have easily been like we applaud the cdc for like taking a a a, a medium term view that in may we can we're going to be able to like remove this from an emergency situation or whatever you know what i mean it's like yeah it's the same statement it's just the other the next if there's a comma like you could just continue <laughs> And make it positive. It doesn't instead of an attack or whatever. Anyways, uh, continue. Sorry, you were going to say about your um, godless, uh, no, your godful gas stove. Oh, well, I mean, you know, uh, the gas stove that we use here in California is generated by liberals. And so it's just a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a total situation here. Uh, I, you know, I kind of sometimes wish that I could be like a QAnon person because it alleviates you of so much responsibility and you don't have to study. You just, you know, you kind of get a couple things in there and next thing you know, you, you have a whole belief system and, and nothing can really interfere. <laughs> with it. Um, I, yeah. I wish I had that, that kind of, um, that kind of faith. I, 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 I don't. Uh, and, um, and then, and you're telling of it, QAnon is the most Zen relaxed people because they just have, <laughs> like a, a strict set of guidelines that they just have faith in and then they just they're chill <laughs> they find the answers and then they just check right on out <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean you know it's it it, it 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 does make your life easier i think i mean uh you know the people are the covid doesn't exist and and why yeah. lost the election and i think how do my cousins have time for all this you know they yeah they seem busy with their restraining orders and having washing machines in their front yard, and yet they have time to believe all these things too. So I, I think it requires a certain. Yeah, kind of- it's 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 you know what the thing that they don't talk about with QAnon is that they're such good time managers. Right? You know, because they're able to get all of this done, all of the theorizing and the spreading the misinformation, and then also um, paying the bills. Yeah. You know, feeding the kids. You know what I mean? Taking them to to daycare. Um, I, I want to say, you know, Kristen uh, came out uh, by uh, letting us know that she has a gas stove. Greg, you also yes. have a gas stove. I want to say as uh, gas stoves are very California and Northeast centric. I also have a gas stove. Uh, I have to say, though, I grew up with an electric Uh-oh. stove. And yes, I grew up with an electric stove. And I thought gas stoves were the weird exception. Uh, I thought electric stoves were a thing that just everybody had. And I remember when my parents sold my childhood house, uh, which even though I was a full adult at that point, I cried like a child that they abandoned my childhood house um, and moved into another house in the same town. It's fine. Uh, I, uh, they, they, there was a gas stove in that other house. And I remember my parents were like, well, this is a big negative. You know, they thought it was so annoying. Really? That it was a gas stove. Yeah, yeah. They were very annoyed because we had all just been used to this, I don't know, feeling like this, it, that it was a safer thing, like the electric stoves were a safer thing. And turns out they were a safer thing. <laughs> like that was actually true. Um, and uh, and so, I, so I often thought, so that's why the thing about, you know, people say this a lot, but it's a straw man argument, right? Like no one's, there's a few foodies out there who are paid by big gas, okay? to promote gas stove cooking is something I've learned in this controversy. Um, I have to say, I'm not following any of those Instagram handles. Uh, 
I don't have many people in my feed just constantly talking about firing up those blue flames. Um, but I guess that's a thing. Uh, apparently, the thing um, also, I also love that they're really trying to like pick apart the American um, American household appliances one by one because right mm. now we're on ovens. But folks, remember when just moments ago we were on showers and toilets during Trump rallies? Oh, that was yeah. like a mini. Yeah. Do you remember that they didn't have enough water pressure or whatever? Yeah. Like tea. low flow toilets. Yes, low flow toilets. Like Trump would take minutes, very many minutes, out of his. Um, just riveting rallies to talk about toilets. And I, I'm like, is this, is there nothing else that you could talk about that's actually a big mm. deal for people than just appliances? Uh, I, I find that really, really funny. Now, my question for you guys is, do you think they're successfully talking about stoves in, in a way that most people are pissed? Or, you know, I guess... How do Democrats change the conversation if the conversation actually needs to be changed? Or are we just really, you know, underestimating the American public and everyone realizes this gas stove shit is just total garbage? I think that it's it's one of those conversations that is pointless for Democrats to engage in, because as long as they try to argue it away, it will just keep Republicans talking about it like I. Also, the fact that there is no stove ban on the table, like yeah. the White House has, <laughs> like the White House right. has said, we don't want to ban stoves. All of this was kicked up because of like a passing comment from a guy at the Federal Consumer Product Safety Commission who was like, you know, yeah, there are some health concerns. So maybe like one day down the road, we could look at like all the qualifying language. That yeah, says, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, TBD on that. And then I guess what? There were some Democrats that are more directly in favor of an outright ban. But like this is not in the works. Also, this is about climate and uh, and environmental health issues. And unfortunately, that's also just red meat for Republicans because Republicans like hate like anything, any kind of um, uh, any kind of measure to curb that. And I feel like it's just it's I hear the Republicans a losing... have a major they have a major fetish for asthma. So that's, I think, what it what it comes down to. <laughs> They probably, you know that, well, they probably spin it as like they're just weak children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I mean, speaking of breathing, I love that, like, you know, this is an asthma related issue. And I believe that Republicans in Congress have now lifted the ban on indoor smoking in congressional offices. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, they don't give a shit about lungs here. <laughs> uh, um, so can I be honest with you guys? One thing that has happened because of this controversy, this controversy, I don't even want to call it a controversy, this dumb, dumb anniversary. Uh, I like that. It's just been, everyone's been talking about it. And I've been like, I, don't think about my stove. That's the reality. And, but I, but since this, I was like, oh, I guess it doesn't make sense that there's this thing that might be leaking methane in my house, right? Um, small Manhattan apartment. Uh, and so, uh, 
I've been just sort of like in a reverie of what if like how much is an induction stove, which is apparently the thing that everybody talks about. Um, it's like they call it cooking with magnets. It like heats up just the pot instead of the entire environment in the room, you know, and so mm -hmm. it heats up really fast. It's super precise. You could just you could like set a temperature to it like it's it's apparently like really awesome. And so the only thing this has done is like made me realize that like, like well, when this stove conks out, like I might as well buy one of these delightful induction stoves that everybody's like jizzing over. Uh, that's the sort of net result for me. And I wonder if there's, you know, I, it, and I feel like I can't imagine that, uh, that, you know, Mr. GOP in, you know, Wyoming or wherever isn't kind of having the same feeling because it sounds great to have a, a, a stove that's better. You know what I mean? I don't know. Uh, you know, I live in the swirling vortex of baby killing celebrity here in Hollywood. And uh, <laughs> we only have two, thi two things on our mind, confiscating stoves and um, and gun buybacks using abortions. So there's really, <laughs> our agenda is set in stone. Um, yeah. Until we have a gay Filipino woman in every office in this country, we will not rest. And um until we have everyone using an electric, what did you call it? An induction? I think they're called induction stoves. Yeah. Oh, okay. I I uh, I want everyone to use a tandoori oven because I think that it's delicious. <laughs> oh, folks, um, tell let me know. Are you in the oven buying way? Um, are you <laughs> looking at the tandoori? oven are you looking at the induction where, where are we at i'm so curious uh where has this have you heard about this scandal or um has it is this the first time you're hearing about it i'm just curious how this kind of information trickles out um because it should trickle out directly you into a home depot is my feeling <laughs> like, uh, uh. Into, that is i think the natural uh, path for the trickling out of this information all right hit me up now uh let's take a quick break and when we come back we will continue the show today's show is sponsored by rocket money oh folks i mean First of all, it's a personal finance app that helps you find and cancel unwanted subscriptions and it monitors your spending and it helps you lower your bills. But that's headline news, okay? What it has done for me, it has reminded me of the absolute ridiculous world of things that I have subscribed to. And why have I subscribed to them? Why have I wasted my money in such a way? And thank God that Rocket Money has come around to show me that, hey, Nagin, you don't need a subscription to an obscure Brazilian film archive, do you? One of the things that I found for me once oh, that was really upsetting was that I was paying for a subscription twice. It was an educational app. And you think an educational app isn't going to do you that way. But you know what? It might. It also lowered a bill for me. It lowered my cable bill. Yes, I still pay for cable. Don't worry about it. And then the other great thing is when you are trying to get rid of these subscriptions, you just do it with one tap. You don't have to like call customer service or whatever, all the other miserable things that you do when you're trying to get rid of a subscription. It just does it with one tap. That's one of the actually best things about it because I've had such a hard time 
in the past trying to unsubscribe from something myself. It lowers your bills for you by up to 20%. 5 million users. It has helped save an average of $720 a year, which makes sense for me because that's about as much as, that's about what I was saving. And with over $550 million in canceled subscriptions, that's what they've achieved. I mean, you've heard me talk about Rocket Money before. It has really improved my relationship with subscriptions. I'm going to just tell you that much. So stop wasting your money on things that you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Guys, cancel those unwanted subscriptions at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. And we are back and we're ready for topic number two. Tyree Nichols, an unarmed black man, was beaten by officers at a traffic stop in Memphis, and he was then taken to a hospital where he died a few days later um, because of the beatings. Those officers were fired and are facing criminal charges, and uh, the plainclothes unit of which they were a part was disbanded. Now, I don't think anyone here disagrees that this is obviously horrendous. That's not um, something that's up for discussion. But I did want to take a moment to to take a broader look at where we are when it comes to police brutality um, and how what has changed, right? In the aftermath of the of George Floyd, there was so much momentum on this issue. And it's kind of gone through many... Um, cycles of different marketing, I want to say. Um, and where are we? I guess that's my first question. I think we are pretty much where we've always been. You know, I, I, the fact that the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act was never passed by Congress you know, that legislation is just sitting there like and yes, there have been I think it was what in the wake of George Floyd's death, there were hundreds of state and local level bills that were passed in the name of police reform. But in terms of the actual brutality and violence inflicted primarily on black and brown communities, I, I, I don't see much reform in that way. The fact that we're aware of it, I think, is a very small step forward. Uh, as Kristen said, there were so many bills uh, passed after that terrible summer in uh, 2020. And the reason why it's sitting in Congress is absolutely the Republicans. They, they refuse to believe that there is such a thing as police brutality. The Justice Department under 45, under Orange 45, refused to uh, uh, investigate anything like that. Whereas this DOJ, to be fair, is, is doing a lot more for civil rights. Um, it's an issue that has to keep coming up in front of the American public all the time. And it's an issue that has to come up in front of white people all the time. Because white people have to be reminded incessantly that things are really bad for other people. And that there needs to be some sort of equity in this country. And 
this case has brought that up. Of course, it's confusing to a lot of white people because the officers in question in this time were black, which of course presupposes that you can't be uh, brutal against black people if you're a black person, which is absurd, but is the kind of distraction that we get into. Um, so I'm hoping, as I do with every gigantic act of brutality that's happened since I was a little kid, starting with like the Watts riots, um, that this will be a little more of a clarion call and that there'll be a little more progress forward in policing the police. Um, the whole uh, 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 defund the police thing seems to be a, a, a bit general, if you know what I mean, because it's like <laughs> saying that corporations are bad. Yeah, they are. You're not going to wipe that out. It, it, but you're not going to wipe right. it. If, if you defund the police, you'll have chaos. And then the, the people who need the police most which would be like, oh, I don't know, poor people and battered women will have no one to phone. Right, so right. It, 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 that, that's, that's not where we start with this. I think we start, what we got going for us this time is that the Memphis police actually fired these officers, which they wouldn't have done if they were white, let's be honest, but true, they did. And secondly, the president this time and this administration is actually sympathetic to the people that were victimized Whereas previously, I think you'll find they were not. They were not. You you got you get what you deserve. Basically, was the position of. I'm sorry, this answer was so long. So um, I. <laughs> no, I, I try not is, to be. This is great. I try not to be depressed all the time about this because it's so depressing. So I, if we're looking for a gold, any kind of uh, positivity out of this, I think it's that once more, it's absolutely the focus of the news, and 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 a lot of people are thinking and talking about it. And that is where the action will take place when white people get angry enough to do something about something. And and I do think it's worth noting, you know, like you mentioned this sort of like 5% of improvement, which is that these people were immediately arrested. They were immediately fired. There's immediate criminal charges, like all that stuff happened very swiftly. And I remember the frustration in, in every year past, which was that like that thing that seems so obvious that, you know, like the obvious course of action didn't happen so swiftly, you know? And so I feel like this is, um, you know, it, 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 some sort of a signifier that things are a, a little bit different this time, hopefully, um, you know, and, and again, on the sort of like defund the police point, uh, Jason Turner, who's a senior pastor of Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church in Memphis, he said, we need public safety, right? We need law enforcement to combat pervasive crime. Also, we don't want the people who are sworn to protect and serve us, brutalizing us for a simple traffic stop or any offense. And I think that's the other thing is like, we're also moving to this maybe way of speaking where it's not, where defund the police isn't like corporations are bad or whatever, right? Where, where we're able to say, we need to be able to call the police. We need to be able to like depend on the police, but we also want the police not to be a brutalizing force. And so uh, it, it feels like maybe there's a little bit more of a, I don't know, like a, 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 a shift, a reasonability shift maybe in the way we're able to talk about this. It's, it's okay for us to want to have a sound and functioning police to be able to turn to them. And it's also okay for us not to want a brutalizing thing. So it's, I, 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 I feel like I don't know. I, I'm, 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 a, I'm a, t a touch hopeful. I guess I don't know. I'm a touch. I'm a touch hopeful with with outcomes. Again, 
not to to say that anything is good. <laughs> I'm not trying to I'm not trying to um accuse anything of being good. <laughs> I'm just saying like I'm I'm hopeful by some of the reasonability that we've seen. Okay, so here's my just like my 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 last question on this. What is what is the marketing around? Like, do you want to build, be a police officer that's super into de-escalation and conflict resolution through healthy dialogue? Um, then policing is the place for you. Like, how, how do we get a shift? You know what I mean? How many episodes of East New York do we need or whatever before there's like a shift in the way that um, in the type of people that might want to be police and in, in what we think the police does? I mean, it's such a... Big question and another hard one to answer because it's so much about I don't want to I don't want to say it's like a case by case basis. But if we look at the data of like various big city police departments and then your small town like sheriff departments and things like that, it, it depends like the individual culture of these various institutions that are all under the umbrella of law enforcement, like it is it is up to the places themselves to decide that they want to actually change the culture to make any of the reforms have any meaningful difference for the people who need them most. You know what I mean? And I <laughs> I wonder as far as marketing, um, because it the police are having a hard time recruiting. Um understandably and i wonder if maybe they need to amp up the the rhetoric of like uh <laughs> hey do you want to do you want to keep people safe and also make sure that you yourself sir do or ma'am do not end up in prison for brutalizing people. I don't know. I feel like there needs to be more of a direct threat. <laughs> such a guess what, cops? <laughs> to, to Claw's question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Know. Well, in Los Angeles, we've had a major, you know, first of all, the last couple of weeks, there's been some terrible police murders going on here. And um, our police chief is up for, uh, you know, reassignment basically he's the mayor and the city council have to decide whether to keep chief Moore on at the beginning and the beginning of all of this at the very beginning of the police riots in 2020 that night in may when the police set their own cars on fire over here and started the police riots here in los angeles i remember watching tv and a reporter went up to chief Moore, our chief here in la and said what's going to happen tonight you know because there was a giant line of cops there with tactical gear on and their all their stuff. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's entirely up to the public, which is completely unacceptable mm-hmm. as an answer. Absolutely yeah, unacceptable as an yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah. that's the, the kind of ongoing attitude that really is going to get him shifted out of our department, we hope. Um, also, we had a sheriff here. I don't know if you knew about the L.A. sheriff named Villanueva, who, um, as from the time he got elected four years ago to last year, the year when he was not elected again, reelected, became a complete MAGA person. The, he, the sheriff department wouldn't wear masks. They were uh, literally roving in gangs to kill people and stuff. His activities got him chucked out of office, and for which he was um, not contrite about at all until the end in the true form. So it can happen, even in a big, gigantic, immobilized city like LA with 10 million people and a police and sheriff department that literally get more money than like most states budget 
you know what? <laughs> the the LA yeah. Police Department and the LA Sheriff's Department have like hundred billion dollar budgets. You know what I mean? We're yeah. we're gigantic here. Uh, and I think the bigger than Wyoming level, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You you have to take police departments apart and put them back together again in order to affect this change. And that's a very long process. And it makes means making all the people who are officers reapply for their jobs and stuff like that. And then weeding out all the ones who are in like gangs that want to kill the public. Right. <laughs> to put it, to put it right. very indelicately, and right. that's not the way I meant to put it, but that's what's going on, you know. They're real mad too. That's the other thing is that no one ever talks about. The cop, the police are mad. They're mad at us. They're mad that George Floyd exposed uh, while we were all sitting at home. It was the worst possible scenario for them. We literally were all sitting at home last in May 2020 and saw it happen. And we watched it over and over again and it really upset people. And they're mad that that happened. They're mad that they got called out on it. And there, there's this perception from them that they're now, they're hamstrung, like they can't do anything. Mm -hmm. right. um, and it's interesting because I think most people would say you, you can do, you can do policing. It's just, it cannot be brutalized policing. And, uh, and so there's, um, again, I think it's like the, the, the whole culture of the thing has to shift to sort of accept these nuances and accept um, this this basic reality, which is that people do want there to be a police force that answers the call and people don't want that force itself to be part of the problem. So those are those are the, you know, we, I think, can all understand how to that, that those both of those things can be true. Um, well, folks, let me know. Uh, I, I this this these stories out of LA are so fascinating. Are there are there shifts and movements in the police departments in your own city? Um, the other fascinating thing again is that this is a city by city, state by state phenomenon. Like there's there's federal legislation that Cory Booker might represent, but for now, there's so much change happening in the city and state level, and it's really fascinating to see all of that. So hit me up if you got interesting tales from your own region. Uh, now let us move on to topic number three. So this was exciting. Apparently, Americans are finally working less. Uh, we wrote a whole piece about it in The Atlantic by Derek Thompson. It was a really interesting read. And before we get into the nitty gritty, tell me, um, Greg, does it seem to you like Americans are working less? Or did you see the headline and, 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 and it seemed alien? Like, it, it, does this ring true to you that Americans are working less? Well, I hope they are. I, I did uh, 110 dates on the road last year with my comedy group. So I'm working more. Uh, I, I'm I'm out all the time. Uh, but you know what? Relax, everybody. Um, I think we've always worked too much. <laughs> it, I also think that, you know, the, the, key, the problem has always been that we, we don't value um, leisure time. And we don't value women's time. We, we don't give leave for uh, uh, maternity and things like that. And we don't give decent vacations ever. And we never have. I'm a comedian. So like I haven't had a weekend in a thousand years. I don't, to me, the regular week is mean, means very little. Uh, but I would hope that uh, after um, the plague and people having to work from home, that we would be working a little bit less. Um, but you know how it works. As soon as people start to work less, then all of a sudden there's a big uh, media push that Americans are lazy and don't want to work. And that's why there's no one 
serving you well at the uh, at the golden corral anymore that your shrimp are cold and they <laughs> you came into the golden corral with these high expectations uh-huh. and all of a sudden yes. so such so, high expectations of the golden corral always <laughs> right and my my ethos over the last several years has been to stop complaining entirely about any kind of service anything you know when you go out and eat and oh my god the service is bad or the food is cold or they brought it to your door and it wasn't the way you want it um, tough shit. Things are really hard. And those people are wage slaves. And I was a waiter and a busboy and a dishwasher and a delivery person and all of those things. And they're not fun jobs. And the idea that people don't want to do them because they simply are being obstinate is ridiculous. They don't want to do them because they don't pay and no one wants to pay insurance. So uh, I'm hoping that was a long winded answer in the way of saying I haven't found that people are working less. But perhaps they are. And uh, I, I think it's a good thing if they are. You know, so let me tell you, Chris, and here's the deal. And it, we're going to take it back to history for a quick second, because in the 19th century, philosophers talked about the increase of leisure fostered by the Industrial Revolution, right? You might remember this from such things as high school, uh, when people, when we read about philosophers that said things out loud. Um if everyone surmised that because of the Industrial Revolution and the advancements in technology, we would just have no choice but to accept more leisure in our lives. And then that ended up being exactly not true, especially starting the 1980s. In the 80s, we saw that, that this is, again, theory from, from our writer here, Derek Thompson, but with the decline of the church, married men started putting more time into work because in two, it, between 1980 and 2005, the richest 10% of married men increased their work um, their work by more than any other group. Uh, So interestingly, even though they had theoretically the money and the means to afford leisure, that is not what they chose. So Christian, does that, what is America, is that the sort of American ethos? Has that been um, since, uh, if you like me, were a child of the 80s? Yes. I mean, the whole, like the way that Thompson describes it is, workism and putting all of our value as a person into quote unquote career success um and as a who as a millennial who was came out of college right hot into hustle culture um i i I feel like i've been uh, now in my late 30s, like rapidly unlearning all of that. And anytime I hear um, workplaces describe themselves as like, we're like a family here, I, I want to throw my laptop <laughs> out the window. Because um, that, that is a lot. That is a lot. just did a spit take, folks. <laughs> Welcome aboard. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. And also, side note, my family's dysfunctional, so that, that that's not good news, people. Not a selling but, point. Um, not a selling point. <laughs> you mean we're all going to cry at Christmas? <laughs> right. <laughs> you mean we can't get through a simple board game? Fantastic. <laughs> um, we can't watch a football game without a fist fight breaking out? <laughs> oh. But So I do think that generationally, we are, you know, Gen Z you know, is very much anti-workism in a lot of ways. But, okay, I have a little bone to pick with that stat on those rich married men increasing their work week by five hours. So here's my question, though. 
Were they uh-huh. actually working or were they just leaving the house and calling it work? Like, uh, yes, they were probably going to their workplace. But if they are the richest men, we're talking like white collar jobs. So you are going into your office. These are the same. This is the same demographic that wants the end of teleworking and people back in the office. Mm-hmm. And I mean, why? I mean, is it are you just picturing like a Don Draper whiskey scenario? Like, what is what are you picturing that that, like they were leaving the house and they were all in the in the office was just another refuge? Maybe in a way. And sure, I think there's like workaholism attached to that. But I. I don't know. I'm just I'm suspect of like what the actual work was and whether it was a drive to make more climb higher in the career ladder or if it was largely driven by like oh let me me get away from the wife and kids um i mean like probably a bit of both right i mean i think as someone who dated uh widely in the world of finance (laughs) um as, as a as a comedian who dated people in finance um a couple of them um there was like in that field specifically a just a really intense um you have to be there and you have to show that you're there and it has to be for long hours and then there and i do you know i do think or like i have friends who are lawyers you know who just like the the workload was unreasonable like it, it they did experience extreme burnout there was too much on their plates um i do think that thing you know, and the Japanese always had the um, the distinction of working harder than anyone else on earth or whatever, but it was actually the Americans who eclipsed the Japanese at some point. I'm making this up. I don't remember when or by what amount, but I do remember reading at some point in my life that we eclipsed the Japanese. <laughs> it seems um, true. Yeah, it feels true. Right. So let's just go with that. Uh, but now, so what's happening now is that the highest earning 10% of men work 77% fewer hours in 2022 than they did in 2019, uh, which seems like a pretty steep drop. And the top earning women cut back by 29 hours. So uh, it does, and, and, and that despite these reductions, rich, be, rich people still work more overall. Now, I guess, talk to me about why if a rich person, so why is a rich person still, if they can afford leisure, why aren't they taking it? Well, obviously they're, uh, everything in their life is skewed. If your identity is uh, absolutely attached to how much wealth you have, then you're, there's a gaping giant hole where your soul should be that you're trying to fill with material items. Um, I speak as a performer who I, I have no, personality whatsoever unless it's filled by the laughter of drunken strangers every 15 to 30 <laughs> seconds so uh i know what it's like to have a deficit uh-huh. deep inside uh your heart uh i i would suggest that if you do have any leisure time you might fill it with um what we used to call reading um this is a this is a book it's by yoko it's uh-huh. called grapefruit it's one of cindy Lauper's favorite books it's little aphorisms and poems this is a notebook. This one happens to have Lawrence Ferlinghetti on the cover. It's empty, you see, and you can write your thoughts right in it. In it. So right, there's, there's right. two things you might do uh, if you have a couple moments hanging around uh, instead of going on TikTok or Instagram. 
mind you, I'm as guilty as the next person. I will spend hours looking at nonsense on my phone. Um, I don't believe that rich people are working harder. I think the entire thing is made up. I think poor people are working harder than they've ever had to. And I think rich yeah, people I, yeah. put this put this forward and force the media to say it so that we'd somehow feel sorry for them, which you should never, ever feel sorry for them. Um, if it wasn't for them, uh, there wouldn't be anything bad ever. <laughs> but I, I also wonder if there is a decline in workism at the very top, could it then, um, could there, it could have an effect of, of them also just like expecting less of just everything in the business, you know, of just let, I, I wonder if that workism is just like a drive to go, 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 go. So then it, it creates an expectation of everyone beneath them to go, 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 even though they're not, they're going, going, going at much lower income rates. And so I wonder, I don't know, I wonder if it could be a positive thing that the very wealthy uh, just are working less. I'm just spitballing here. These are just thoughts before everyone uh, comes at me on Twitter. Here, here let, me, uh, let me ask you one more question. Um, Christian, what do you think of this? Thompson also makes the argument that the rise in teenage anxiety is not only because of smartphones and technology, but because of workism that's been passed down by parents, um, that kids should know what they're going to do with, with their lives and with work and at a very young age, and there's a lot of pressure on them. Um, does this ring true to you? Have we, we passed down workism uh, to our kids? Oh, well, um, I I was talking to my therapist about two hours ago about this very thing, <laughs> <laughs> the lingering effects of uh, being raised with a Protestant work ethic uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, and how intense that was. Um, but I I think yes, and I'm I'm sure it's a contributor, and I think it's also with this generation it's it's so it feels so like the stakes are so much higher for them because your private life everyone's private lives are now public performance on social media you know everyone can always check in to see who's doing what and where and like even as a grown adult like i can my anxiety can spin out over all of that um, and I would imagine, too, there's probably some cognitive dissonance happening of like teen teenagers seeing the conditions of the like the way that the world is and is not functioning right now, but also feeling this pressure of like, well, I'm I, I will need to make money. I want to make money. I need to, you know, achieve this kind of career success. So I would imagine it's a it's it's a hard it's, it's hard in a teen brain. <laughs> I also have to say this. It's so funny that you mentioned talking to a therapist about this because uh, yesterday um, my husband picked up our kid who's four. She just turned four from a piano class. And apparently she sort of misbehaved in class for the first time. She's done uh -oh. this class a few a handful of times. She misbehaved a little bit. And they, and we were told like, yeah, she like went and hit under a piano and it was weird and whatever. And I, was distraught like basically i have an aimless child who has no goals in life and <laughs> he's gonna be unemployed forever hiding under pianos right like i meet my mind went to the craziest child of immigrant le levels and um and i was like oh and it's funny because i had just read this this work is in peace 
And I was like, oh God, I'm 100% transferring my workaholism to my child. Like, you know, and I had to pull back and just be like, wow, this isn't a big deal. Like she's fucking barely four years old. This isn't the, you know, this isn't an indicator of her entire life. Even, even as I say it though, I do feel like it's an indicator of her entire life. So, um, so there's, yeah, I don't know. Greg, help me. What, what, what am I supposed to feel? (laughs) I I smell your parents bearing down on you psychically here. (laughs) I smell Persian, Persian parents overachieving. Yes. I would also like to say, Nagin, you know, underneath pianos those are that's a large space you can do a lot of work underneath a piano there's plenty of room for a laptop i mean as long as she's got wi-fi in that room she's good that's true that's true it's not like she can't be productive underneath a piano she can she you're right productivity still survives under there um all right folks let me know uh have you started working less obviously greg hasn't he's been on the road 110 days of the last year which is fucking a lot for those of you who don't know um kristen do you feel like you've actually worked less at all in the last couple of years no <laughs> no <laughs> fucking me neither truly See? fucking me neither when i saw this headline i just thought it was a fucking impossibility and then and then i wondered if it's like oh maybe we're in entertainment entertainment is just all like just a different right piece. And it's a beast that thrives on fear. So I don't know. In 2020, when we couldn't perform live, and because that's generally what I do, I went bananas because for 18 months, I couldn't go on the road. And I drove my wife crazy. And I did Zoom shows and all that jazz. But I felt like I'd never worked less. You know what I mean? And then as soon as we were able to start working again, I've been as busy as the Dickens. Mind you, we take a few weeks off here and there. But I mean, once we get going like next week, or this weekend, I start doing stand-up. And then after that, we're working all year, you know? Um, yeah. So no, I'm not working less. But if I had an office job, if I, or, you know, another kind of job, I, I probably wouldn't feel the same way. I couldn't wait to get out and do something, if you know what I mean. But that's right. because my job is a fairly specialized clown. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not that many clowns, you know. Yeah, it it's not a good um, it's not a good comp for the rest of America. What what no, we do? No, no, like oh wait, clowns are unemployed. What? How does that translate? Who gives like, two well, fucks, doesn't right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but again, I would like to re- re- uh, recall that I said this a lot during the pandemic. But comedians are the least essential of workers, so it's fine. Um, okay. That, folks, is the end of the show. You are both so just phenomenal. I don't even know. I don't even know. What did I do right in this life? So fantastic. Please um, do, tell the people of Fake the Nation where they can find you and all of the wonderful things that you do. Kristen, where do they do that? Well, you can go and listen to the podcast on Ladylike, anywhere you find podcasts, and you can follow the show at Unladylike Media on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. TikTok. Yeah, Bruh. TikTok. I know. Bruh. I always say it with a little bit of trepidation. I know. I know. You and like really gave a little not. pause before that. And uh, hey, hey, TikTok. hey, man. I'm also on TikTok. <laughs> you know, it's it just, it happens. It happens to the best of us. 
Um, absolutely. You should be subscribing to this show. It's so phenomenal. I, I've always had a fantastic time um, on Unladylike and listening to Unladylike. And at one point, we even shared a producer. Um, so there's a lot of Fake the Nation Unladylike uh, shared DNA. Um, Greg Proops, where do people follow you and all the wonderful things that you do? Well, I'm on all the apps. I'm on uh, Butt Flip and Snapchat and... <laughs> backflip and uh, a lot of the really good apps uh, yeah yeah dick nip i think is one of them it's nice uh <laughs> no i greg uh, i do stand up uh, and i do improv with the group who's live anyway and i have a podcast with my wife called the smartest man in the world and we also have a film club that jennifer curates by the time this comes out i think it'll already have shown but we were showing a French gangster picture tomorrow night in Los Angeles called Touche Pao Grisby, but we show pictures. Yeah, thir night. Thursday, Thursday night. Um, it, this oh, this podcast drops Thursday morning, so Thursday that's night right. people can go and, and see this in Los Angeles. We do a film club. Uh, Jennifer picks all the fi uh, the films, and um, so th there's all that, and that's all at gregfroops dot com, uh, and and like that. Um, and again, if you if you haven't just uh, jumped into the Greg Proops album Uvra. Um, oh, and that. In the City is available on my website as well, the album that you're talking about. Yeah, the, the album that I'm talking about. Oh, it's called, you're right. It's called In the City. And uh, and it's just it's just, it's just such a fun time with Greg. Like, if you just want to, like, feel like you're at a party with Greg chatting and telling you stuff, like, it, that's, just do it. It's so fun. I've been having so much fun with that album. Um, and folks, you know where to find me and all the things that I do. Um, I... Uh, We'll hopefully be coming back to you with more dates for upcoming shows. And in, in the meantime, I would love to thank everybody who makes this show a possibility. That's our wonderful producer, Andrew McGuire, our fantastic audio engineer, Stephanie Aguilar, um, and everyone at HeadGum who makes this show a possibility. Our theme music was written by Gabby Alter. And um, you can email us at fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com uh, for any ideas you have about the show segment, ideas, and guest ideas. I'm here for all of it. Um, and don't forget to leave a review of the show on Apple Podcasts because it really does help people find the show. Um, and that's, a, that's it for us here. We will be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast.